Loved ones, what's going on? I'm Bruce, and you found the podcast called A Bigger Story. Here's what A Bigger Story is about. First, I believe that we are far more interconnected than we could possibly imagine. Science proves it, and spirituality and religion intuit it. And at their best, the great religions, the great wisdom traditions of the world acknowledge our interconnectedness. So A Bigger Story's first purpose is to explore that idea that our spiritual traditions point us to a bigger story. The name's not a coincidence. So why is that important? Well, maybe you've noticed, like I have, that you and I live in a world marked by way too much division and an erosion of interconnectedness, an erosion of community. It's ironic that the very technologies that were supposed to connect us all into this big, huge global village like the World Wide Web and social media, so often seem to do the opposite. So this podcast, A Bigger Story, is meant to help us look at some of the ancient wisdom traditions of human history, what often gets called religion or spirituality, to see if there are any clues to rediscovering human connection and to heal some of the division we're experiencing right now. If religion could do that, religion wouldn't seem like a bad word to so many people, right? One more thing. I'm finding that labels fit me less and less. Maybe you are too. But one label I'm still wearing is I am a Christian. What I mean is that I was born into and raised into a family that was Christian that went to church. There are stories in my family of how going to church and being part of church communities was tremendously helpful. And there are stories of how being part of church communities did damage. And I think that's the case with most people, with all religions, all spiritual traditions. So for me to say I'm a Christian means that that's the cultural world in which I was raised and the system that has provided me a lifetime of perspective, a frame of reference. But a bigger story is not meant to convert anyone to Christianity or to win anyone back to Christianity or to get anyone back to going to church. If I'm honest, I'll tell you, I'm not going to church all that much these days myself. The purpose of a bigger story, this podcast, is actually in some ways more the opposite. It's to claim that whatever story we were raised with, if we were raised with one, that there is available to us, wait for it, a bigger story. And if that sounds far too grand and unachievable, you're probably right. But if we decide that the work of healing division and finding a bigger story for us all to live in is too big, and we turn our backs on even trying, who will do it? When I was a kid in church in the 70s, we'd sing this song now and then, let there be peace on earth, and let it begin with me. So to the extent that you and I hope for peace on earth, in the galaxy, in our country, in our neighborhood, you know, maybe let it begin with us. So again, I'm Bruce, and welcome to A Bigger Story. I have a friend in Jacksonville, Florida named Adam Gray. Adam is a pastor at Riverside Church at Park and King in Jacksonville. Those of you who've been hanging with me for a while, if Riverside Church in Jacksonville sounds familiar to you, it's because 
the pastor at Riverside Church before Adam was me. So Adam and I have been hanging around together for a long time, partnering up from time to time on different projects. Being a spiritual leader in Florida right now, I'd call that hazardous duty. At least it's hazardous duty if you are the bigger story kind of spiritual leader. And by that, I mean, I use the words used by Father Greg Boyle. He's a Jesuit priest. He's the founder and leader of Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles. It's the world's largest gang intervention and rehabilitation ministry program in the world. So Father Greg once said this about our purpose, and it's these words I use to describe what I call a bigger story kind of spiritual leader. We go stand at the margins with the poor, the voiceless, with those whose dignity has been denied and those whose burdens are more than they can bear. We go to stand with the despised, the left out, the demonized, so that the demonizing will stop. That's the work of a bigger story kind of person. We work to expand the circle of compassion, to widen circles of empathy. So why is doing that kind of work hazardous duty pay in Florida? Well, there's a governor there right now, and I think soon to be a candidate for president of the United States, who has led, in my opinion, the contraction of circles of inclusion, especially for people of color and for LGBTQ people. Now, I don't expect you to take my word for everything. If you're media savvy enough to find this podcast, then you know the news out of Florida, or you can Google around and see if you agree with me or not. Some of the issues are pretty straightforward. Others require us to actually inform ourselves about hot-button stuff like critical race theory, ethics and science around transgender issues. And have you noticed how many of us have pretty deep-seated opinions about those things, but have done precious little to inform ourselves about those things? So I can't cover it all. This podcast would take hours. So when we bring up some of these issues, I trust you to do the research you need to decide if you agree with how I've characterized something or not. So my friend and colleague, Adam Gray, he leads a spiritual community, a church in Jacksonville, with which I'm intimately familiar because I once led that same church too. And it's a church that stakes its existence on being a safe, nurturing community for any who are looking for a safe, nurturing community, including LGBTQ people. And it's a place where diversity and divinity go together. So I asked Adam to join us for this episode to help us get a glimpse into how ancient spiritual traditions and wisdom traditions can be used for healing and for human flourishing instead of for the opposite of all that, which too frequently they're used for. For instance, a key moment in many, if not most, church and synagogue services is the reading of ancient texts, and then a consideration of what that ancient text, that story, might have to say to us regarding our present moment today, now. A few Sundays ago, the story Adam and the people of Riverside Church had in front of them as did many churches who follow the same basic reading schedule, was from Christian scripture, the New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles, 
specifically Acts 6 and 7. So Adam, before we jump into that story from the book of Acts, let's talk for a minute about being in Florida and doing what you're doing there. I call it hazardous duty pay. I'm thinking it's not an easy time to be a spiritual leader in Florida. You're right, Bruce. It's hard right now in Florida. And I think it's hard because the current political climate has trained us to look at everyone as our enemy. You know, the nice word that pollsters use is political polarization. But what it really is, is profiting on, activating people on, organizing people around a principle of if you hate the other side enough, we can win. And, you know, win here is, you know, electoral and monetary and, you know, mostly gross. Um, And I like the first role of a spiritual leader, I think right now, is to undo that dehumanization. It's not just demonization, like we talked about at the beginning, it's dehumanization. And to press in to, you know, Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus says, you know, he answers the question, you know, who is my neighbor with an answer that means everyone you come into contact with. You can't draw lines of us and them. Uh, you know, the the epistles say things like Jesus came to take down the dividing walls between people groups. And in Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We are all one. And so I think the first role of a religious leader is to see the people who have been taught to hate you as your neighbors, as your friends, as your fellow, as your fellow people. Which is a more detailed way of saying expand the circle of compassion, expand expand circles of empathy to take as a spiritual leader, I imagine, you know, to take 10 steps towards someone uh, and invite them maybe to take one step toward, towards you. Mm-hmm. Cause it's so, it's so easy left and right together you know, and I'm not, you know, this is not a completely equal equivocation here because it's different on the right than it is on the left, but left and right together, it is so easy to organize around a negative identity. These are the people we hate. And it is so hard to organize around a positive identity. This is who we are. This is what matters to us. This is what we care about. This is what we are committed to. This is who we love. Um, and that's that's how I see so much of my role as a pastor um, is to teach people how to find that positive identity because that is the wellspring that allows you to take 10 steps towards your enemy and not need them to have this transactional relationship where you're always pulling, always saying, oh, I took one step towards you. Why won't you take one step towards me? It says, 
I have a wellspring of life and love and community and identity inside of me that allows me to love you first long before you know how to love me back. As a church, you have this wisdom tradition of these sacred writings, the Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, the New Testament, that you, you crack open as a community every week and look at these ancient writings together to see how something from those writings might come alive and give some clues and some hints to how to be people of inclusion and compassion today. And you and I were talking on the phone last week that recently one of the stories that you cracked open was in the New Testament book of the Acts of the Apostles. And there's this guy, Stephen. So what was going on, like in a nutshell in that story? What did you have to say about it? And how did you use it to somehow make it come alive to encourage a community of radical inclusion to keep on trying to be that community today? So all you really need to know about Stephen is that he was a completely normal guy who had a ministry of serving people who were desperately poor and on the outside of the outside of the systems of wealth and power in Jerusalem in the first century. His advocacy for that group of people got the very negative attention of the people who were running the temple system, which was kind of the way in which that the Roman Empire and the Jewish religious leaders worked together to keep the money and power flowing. And because of that, uh, Stephen was stoned to death by those religious leaders. Um, and so that's all the like, you know, historical background you need to understand the story. So why does um why does Stephen's concern for the ones on the margin, the desperately poor, uh, why does that get the negative attention of the powerful, the civil authorities and the religious authorities? Why did it blow them up? Because it was an indictment of their illegitimate power. It, the fact that these widows were being left out showed that the whole system was predicated on exploitation. And so what's their response? What do they decide to do with Stephen? Uh, they take they took him out and threw rocks at him until they killed him. And just prior to that, they made him stand in front of them all mm -hmm. and defend what he was doing. That's right. Yes. And he and gave he them a little speech, and the speech indicted them, right? It did, because he told the entire story of the Jewish people as a story of God choosing, honoring, working through, empowering outsiders. He talks about how Abraham was an outsider and Joseph was an outsider and Moses was an outsider and King David was an outsider. And God chose people from the margins to be the center of God's work. 
and the people who liked to imagine themselves as the righteous center of God's work, even as they were exploiting people and leaving people out and oppressing people, could not handle it. They said, no, no, we're supposed to be the good guys in this story. And you're saying that God thinks those people over there are the good guys and we can't take it. So they literally drag him out and throw stones at him and kill him. Bob Dylan kind of wrote a song about it once called Rainy Day Women number 12 and 35, where some of the lyrics are, they'll stone you when you're walking down the street. They'll stone you with everyone you meet. I would not be so all alone. Everybody must get stoned. And a lot of people who just gave a peremptory kind of listening to that song thought it was about drug culture. It wasn't about getting stoned like smoking a joint at 420. It was uh, it was a protest song mm-hmm. about uh, getting attacked for standing on the side of the excluded, the marginalized. So, but I digress because I can't. And that's a, I can't do a podcast well, without mentioning Bob Dylan. You can't, and it's okay, Bruce. We love you. Um, but that's also the point that the writer of the Acts of the Apostles is trying to make, because the Acts of the Apostles says that Stephen, while he's being stoned to death, sees this vision of Jesus exalted in heaven, standing at the right hand of God, which, you know, you do a little bit of uh, like literary interpretation here, and you end up with this underlying principle that something like the writer of the Acts of the Apostles believes that the only way that you can see Jesus clearly is when you're advocating for the people on the outside. That's when you get to see Jesus. Not when you're in the center of power, not when you're comfortable, not when you're just hoarding your wealth, not when you're, you know, oblivious to the problems in the world, but when you are advocating even unto harm and death for yourself, for those who are farthest afield, farthest on the outside, then you get to see Jesus. So it's a Sunday morning. It's 11 o'clock, which is the magic church hour in the South. And as a community gathered in your church, in this beautiful, beautiful church building in Jacksonville, you're discussing this very story. And you're telling, you're sharing your understanding from this story about Stephen getting killed that the way you see Jesus is by standing with and advocating for the marginalized, the despised, the poor. Mm -hmm. In a lot of churches that I was part of growing up, let's call them mainline Protestant churches, if that story was talked about on a Sunday morning, the part that would be all well and good. The way you see Jesus is by standing with the marginalized, the poor. But then there's this part where Stephen is actually killed for doing it. It's not an allegory. Mm-hmm. It's not an allegory. It's not a metaphor. Right. And and so the way I would hear it growing up in mainline Protestant churches was. Well, uh, of course, that was Stephen. You don't actually really have to be killed. You just have to have done this in a sacrificial way. 
where some part of you was given up, surrendered. It was kind of a spiritualizing of the death of Stephen. How do you look at that? And how did you talk about that? I actually named that exact dynamic to say that it's so easy for us to spiritualize this. It's so easy for us to allegorize this because like we do that with the death of Jesus, right? We look over the brutality of the fact that Jesus was actually murdered by the Roman Empire in dying a torturous criminal's death. And we allegorize it and abstract it way out to worthy is the lamb who was slain for the sins of everyone, for the foundation of the world. And, you know, Jesus is an atoning sacrifice. And you just, you know put as many theological euphemisms on top of it as we can to cover up our discomfort with the fact that Jesus was murdered by empire for disrupting systems of power but Stephen is even Stephen is even closer to home though because Stephen isn't the messiah Stephen didn't do healing miracles Right, so you Stephen can't just say did, that was just Jesus, and we don't. You know, there's only one Jesus. That's right, and S- Stephen is just a guy who's trying to do the right thing. Stephen is just a guy who's trying to take care of these desperately poor and oppressed women. Stephen is just a guy who, when he gets called on the carpet doesn't give up his truth and his convictions about the value and the humanity of marginalized people and he gets killed for it like and not and you can't get killed in any more concrete a way than people throwing rocks at you like there's there's literally no allegory here it's all concrete um like right down to the you know paving stones they were throwing at him um and that gets really uncomfortable for a modern audience because to take the story of Stephen seriously requires for us to ask questions like, are we willing to give up our wealth and possessions for the sake of those who are marginalized? It requires us to ask questions like, are we willing to go to prison for the sake of the oppressed and the marginalized? Are The way I put it in church was, would you stand between a police officer and a trans person and say, no, no, me first? And that doesn't mean everybody has to be a martyr, because even in the true church at Jerusalem that came under intense persecution, right, some people fled And it was right and good for them to flee and establish these church communities in other places. Some people gave their money to support those who were under persecution. And it was right and good for them to give sacrificially because they weren't on the ground. Some people went to prison but were not killed. And it was right and good for them to go to prison. That's what God wanted from them. But some people gave not just those things but gave their lives. And what would it be if we built 
a spiritual community and not just a church, you know, not not just a 501c3, not just a building, but but if we built a real spiritual community that honored that as the path, as the way of Jesus. To say you're a follower of Jesus means I'm willing to lay down my life if need be for those who are least loved by our society. Thank you, Adam Gray, one of the pastors at Riverside Church at Park and King in Jacksonville, Florida, a church I love a whole lot myself, having been there. Hey, Adam, if people want to find out more about what you all are doing down there, how do they get in touch? Uh, you can email me at adam at riversidetogether.org, uh, or you can connect with me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Pastor Adam Gray. And you can be in touch with me at a bigger story community at gmail.com. That's a bigger story community at gmail.com. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to a bigger story at a bigger story.substack.com or just follow the link in the show notes. It's easy to do, and it's the best way to support our work here at A Bigger Story. And if you have a moment more, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Talk to you next Wednesday.